I'd ask for you to listen very carefully here as I read the scripture today. There will be a test immediately after this. So please listen well. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Paul writes, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourselves in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are the hearers, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do ask for your blessing again at this time as we turn to your scripture and hear you speak powerfully to us. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In your son's name we ask. Amen. Please be seated. And now for the test. I wonder, when I read those words, and I prompted you to listen carefully, so I hope you did beforehand, what stood out at you? What was the main phrase? What was something that grabbed your attention? What, if you had to summarize this for a 10-year-old child, what would you say was the point of this text? Okay? That's the test. Literally, now go ahead. Turn to somebody next to you and quickly say, what phrase jumped out at you? What thought jumped out at you while you heard that text read? Go ahead, do that. Okay, now my guess is that there are lots of things. If you were paying attention, or if you heard what I was reading, or if you were thinking along the lines at all of what I was communicating when I read that text, there's probably a lot of things that jump out at you. Jesus Christ is the one who saves everyone, especially for those who believe. Uh, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Uh, command these things and teach these things. All of the kind of passages. There were lots in that text, and I hope something grabbed a hold of you. What grabbed a hold of me and what I kind of thought was the organizing principle of this text is that center line in verse 7, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. As I reflected on that little line, and then within the context of the rest of this passage, it became hard not to think that the point of this passage as a whole, the overarching scope of this passage, was this command of Paul to Timothy, Timothy, you need to pursue godliness. Pursue godliness in your life. Now, I have to tell you, I spend a lot of time, particularly with some of the men in the congregation, and I talk with them about things, and I ask them, hey, are you, are you happy with 
what you're doing at work. Are you satisfied with your work output? And by and large, most of the guys say yes, you know, that they are satisfied with that. Are you satisfied with your family life? And usually people say yes. Are you satisfied with your love life? And, you know, yes-ish and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I ask them things. I have never once asked somebody if they're satisfied with the outgrowth of holiness or godliness in their life. I've never had anybody say, oh, yes, I'm very godly. Now, I have had people say, I'm satisfied in the grounding of my godliness. I'm satisfied in where my godliness is oriented and where it anchors itself in Jesus Christ. I have had people that understand that our godliness flows from our connection to Jesus Christ. And they have said, yes, I am satisfied with the fact that I am united with Christ. But they almost immediately follow that up with the understanding, well, yeah, but the way that works out in my life is not always that great, is always not always that wonderful. There's a recognition in people's lives as they communicate their gospel message into their own, into their own hearts that all too often we lack the, the kind of godliness that most of us recognize is kind of inherent within the Christian life. The Christian life it kind of plays out itself in the realms where we have a pursuit of godliness. And so this text is, I think, centered around Paul telling Timothy, hey, you need to pursue godliness, and here's how to do it. Now, as we look at this text for our own lives today, we've got a couple of things we've got to clarify. First, right off the bat, is that we've got to identify if indeed this text is for us. Because there's lots of reasons why you might think it's not. Paul is, after all, writing to Timothy. Timothy is in a situation that none of us are in, even myself, but at least most of us uh, are not in even the position that I'm in in terms of being involved in the leadership of a church. And this passage is clearly talking to Timothy as he is supposed to lead the church. How are you supposed to do it? Command and teach these things. Be an example for the brothers in your faith and life and speech. And, you know, there's all of these kind of things. And so one would think when you read this text that maybe this isn't for us. As a matter of fact, all of the commands here that Paul gives are specific to Timothy. They are commands to you, and the you is singular there. It's not you all command and teach these things. It's you, Timothy, command and teach these things. And so there might be a temptation for us to look at this passage and say, hey, look, this is talking to Timothy, this is talking to somebody else, this is specific to Timothy's situation. So while we can learn something historically about it, or while we might take general principles from this text and think about them in our own lives, it doesn't necessarily speak to us as individuals. I don't think that way. And the whole basis of what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of minutes is oriented around the idea that this is part of the consistent biblical witness that followers of Jesus Christ are to pursue godliness in their lives. Yes, very much so, Paul has in mind Timothy and Timothy's specific situation. But I believe that this text, meant for all of us, is meant in part not just to tell us how Timothy was supposed to pursue godliness, but rather as an outline or as a format at least for each and every one of us. This is directed specifically to Timothy. Timothy, this is how you pursue godliness indeed. But all of us are not just listening in the background. All of us are part of that overarching community of faith that God's speaking to when he writes his word. 
God's scripture is given to the church as a whole throughout the ages, intending to communicate completely and totally his will for us throughout the ages. And his will for us, I believe, is that we are to see ourselves as hearers of these very commands to pursue godliness. So once we recognize or accept, all right, this is not just for somebody else, but this passage speaks directly to me, well then what does this text say about how we are to pursue godliness? Well, it begins right off the bat in verse 6 with perhaps one of the things that we have to hold on to most firmly as we talk about this, and that is as we pursue holiness, as we pursue godliness in our lives, we have to do so maintaining the holding past to the truth. Look at how Paul phrases this in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, the stuff that we were talking about beforehand, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Remember the uh, subset or the uh, nickname for the sermon series we're going through as we're looking at 1 Timothy is this idea that the word of the Lord for Hebron Church about truth and godliness truth and godliness, and they are held together here in this passage because as Paul makes the shift to talk about what it means to pursue godliness, he starts by saying, hold on to the truth. Hold passionately to the truth. Well, what is the truth? It's everything that Paul has been speaking about in those previous chapters, particularly chapter 1, where he says, People are distorting the truth by losing sight of that core understanding that we are saved by God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. But also, we continue in God's grace. Everything about the Christian life is yours because of the grace of God. But everything that moves forward for you in the Christian life is also yours because of the grace of God. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ does not simply get us into the kingdom and then it is left to us to live our lives faithfully in the midst of it. No, it is the grace of God that carries us every second of every day. Not simply to forgive us our sins, but also to fulfill all of the commands that the Lord gives for us, including the command to pursue godliness. So when Paul starts here to shift from his assertions in chapters 1, 2, and 3, particularly chapter 1, to defend and to pursue godliness. Hold, I'm sorry, to pursue and to defend the truth. Hold on to the truth in all things. Then when he shifts to start saying, okay, now here's what this looks like if you live out your life. Here's the godliness that looks like, looks like in your life. The first thing is, he says, is don't ever forget that these commands... And your faithfulness in fulfilling these commands are not prerequisites. They are not how you get to a spot where you merit your salvation. They are not the ways in which you earn God's favor in such a way that he decides to save you. Rather, this challenge to pursue godliness comes to Timothy after he is already a believer. And with already that function and understanding that it is the grace of God that will give him everything he needs to then be satisfied with the pursuit of godliness that Paul calls forth from him. This is a, 
a minor, this is a, a sharp nuance, but it is everything that distinguishes true faith from false religion. Everything about the true faith reminds us that our salvation, both our initial salvation and the ongoing work of salvation in our lives is dependent upon Jesus Christ. It, founds its, it, it finds itself rooted completely and totally in Jesus Christ. Not just the way we are embraced by the Lord initially, but the way that we are consistently embraced by the Lord as he looks upon us as we fulfill these very commands. But equally so, we have to do something with the fact that this passage is filled with exhortation by Paul to Timothy about the way in which that grace is supposed to live out in his life. And so, as each of us accommodates this and takes this passage and says, yes, Lord, this speaks to me too, we have to hear those exhortations to godliness as part of the Christian life. But they never lose sight of that, the true faith, what Paul says in verse 7 here, that we're holding on to the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. If you read the scripture and you lose sight of that core understanding, you will fall from the very blessings that the Lord has in store for us. Does he desire godliness in your life? Absolutely he does. It's hard to read any part of scripture. scripture. It's impossible to read this text without seeing that a natural part of the outgrowth of human existence, when we are tied to Jesus Christ through his gospel message, is the outworking of godliness in our lives. We should display a godlike character, a more great, greater Christ-like character in our lives. Now, that does not mean that we're supposed to be perfect. It does not mean that we never make mistakes. It does not mean that we do not live consistently the life of a hypocrite. We do. But that does not excuse us from the essence of what the text calls us to, which means that you and me are to train ourselves in godliness. Well, what does that look like? Look at verse 7 for a second. This is where Paul gets into some specifics for us. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. Train yourselves for godliness. This is Paul's command to Timothy, and again, as I've mentioned, I think by extension, Paul's command to each and every one of us. So here it is. This week, you are to train yourself for godliness. Now, the word there for training, and some of you will have grabbed a hold of this already, this is built right out of that very core Roman Greco no, no understanding of the athletic events. Uh, their athletes were even more revered than our athletes are today and held up in, in high regard, et cetera, et cetera. But all of us kind of know what it means to be a, uh, to train for and to prepare ourselves for this high quality athletic events that would have been popular at that time, which are still popular today. Training is a huge part of an athlete's existence, and Paul uses that word to orient the believer in the way in which they are supposed to think of themselves in terms of godliness. We are to train ourselves. Now, there were 
two aspects of the training, and we can think of both of them, I think, fairly easily. The first aspect is the one that would probably come to mind the best. That's to exercise. And indeed, a lot of um, translations use this word exercise. Exercise yourself in godliness. Well, what does the exercise mean? It means the output. It means what we're, we're supposed to do. And you can picture any kind of athlete running, all these kind of things. Uh, my daughter inherited all of my athletic ability, which means she has none. And yet she ran a marathon. Uh, she ran a marathon, what, a month ago or something like that, uh, which, of course, boggles the mind for me, who is clearly not a runner or anything along those lines. But she trained for it. She trained for it over and over again. I know there are folks in the church here that run marathons, and I've never known anybody, even some of the really high-quality runners we have in the church. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, hey, I'm going to go out and run a marathon. They, they train for it. It is part of the output in which they're supposed to do. And so what Paul is saying here is, as part of your godliness, you have to have an output. There has to be something that is coming out of you, the energy, the toy. And indeed, if you look a little later in the passage, Paul then talks about this. He says, towards this end in verse 10, in this end we toil and strive. These are hard words. There is something about this call to godliness that I'm talking about that takes toil, striving, hard work, the kind of stuff that towards the end of my daughter's training, initially she had to run a couple of miles and she had to run four or five miles and she had to run, and some of you guys will know the training that has gone into this. By the end of her training, she was running 15, 16, 18 miles every day and she hated it. And she hated it and, of course, was saying, what am I doing here? And we're all on the sidelines saying, look, you've gone this far. Keep going. And that's the call for every one of us. You've gone this far. Keep going. The, the, the godliness pursuit is toil and strain. This does not mean that it undercuts our very first point. Paul says you can only pursue godliness in the truth, that core concept that every outworking of our lives is by God's grace and God's grace alone. But given that, Paul still uses the term to train for godliness. He still talks about it as toil and striving. Should your pursuit of godliness take energy? Should it exhaust you sometimes? Should it be an output in, in, in the way in which you're reading the scriptures or attending the Bible studies or exercising your faith and communicating uh, to other people? And all? Yes. We cannot avoid the biblical picture here that this is hard work. That's the first part of exercising is what we put out. The second part is what we put in. The athletes were notorious, as athletes are today, about how carefully they put food into their body. If some of you dislike Tom Brady like I do, you know that he's obsessed with what he puts into his body. It is all his nourishment and everything like that that enables him to be the athlete in which he is, in part at least. And here, built into this idea that all of us are supposed to strive, toil, train for godliness, built into that understanding is, look, you can't do that without being concerned about what is coming into you. Your outward expression of godliness is tied to this notion of what you are putting in. 
And what are we supposed to put in? Once again, going back to verse 6, the words of this faith and the good doctrine that you have followed, it is that core concept of the truth that is built into the Word of God. It is impossible for you to train for godliness and to separate that from the grace that God gives us to be godly that we receive from the Scriptures. We are tied to the Scriptures. We are tied to this if we are ever going to be faithful at pursuing godliness because it's what comes in that then enables us to exercise that godliness. Well, specifically, what does some of this look like? Let's look at the commands that Paul gives to Timothy and to see how they can attach themselves to our own pursuit of godliness. Here's what Timothy is supposed to do in verse 11. Command and teach these things. All right. Now, if my understanding of this passage is correct, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you are supposed to command and teach these things. This is how you are going to train for godliness. You are going to get a better godly expression as long as you are teaching, commanding and teaching these things. Well, what about the rest of us? I think it exactly applies to every single person in this room. You train yourself for godliness by teaching these things. What are these things again? It reflects back on the truth, the essence of the gospel. By teaching others, you train yourself for godliness. And I'm talking about everybody here. I see kids in the room. I see elderly people in the room. I see folks that have just become believers recently. I see people that have been mature believers for long periods of time. I think this command makes no distinction. It applies to every one of us. You will train yourself for godliness if you teach these things. Now that means that every one of us, it's incumbent upon you to find some avenue, some expression where you can teach these things to others. When I first became a believer, I was a Christian for maybe two or three months, and the guy that I was working with that was discipling me said, hey, where are you going to serve now? I said, I just became a Christian, I don't know anything. And he looked at me and says, there's always somebody that knows a lot less than you. There's always somebody that knows less than you. There's always somebody that can hear the gospel message from you. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how knowledgeable you are. And everybody that teaches knows this, by the way. We have um, one of the great funs, fun of having a Sunday school program like we do for adults is that you get to talk to different adults and you get to say to them, hey, I want you to teach you the Sunday school class. And inevitably, inevitably, invariably, somebody says, you know, oh, well, you don't want me. I'm not a good teacher. And I always say, it, you know that it's true. Nobody learns the material better than the teacher. You will, by, by saying yes to teaching in VBS, by saying yes to teaching in our Sunday school program with the kids or with the adults, uh, by, by saying yes to a Bible study, to leading a Bible study, by saying yes to any opportunity, every opportunity that you have, you are training yourself in godliness. It, everybody that is ever taught knows that's the case. They come out of any experience of preparing for something so much better off spiritually than what they came in. Why? Because they are absorbing that word of God and they are being trained 
for godliness. Secondly, then, Paul writes in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Okay, now that's very specific to Timothy, I would assume. Remember here that Timothy is probably in his mid-30s here. He could be as old as his early 40s, but most likely in his 30s at some point. And he says, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. That, that's okay, you could take that. I think the punchline, though, is, but set the believers an example. That is how you train yourself in godliness. You set the believers an example. It is embarrassing how often the scriptures call us to set an example for other people. It is terribly humbling to realize that the scriptures assume for every believer, not just those in leadership, but for every believer that we have an responsibility to look around to the people around us and say imitate me as I imitate Christ follow me as I follow the Lord that's built into what it means to train yourself for godliness and how are we supposed to do this in speech in conduct in love in faith in purity now we could step through all those words but you can do them yourself the bottom line is, holistically, in every part of who you are, there's never a moment and there's never a situation that you find yourself in where you are not to train yourself in godliness by setting an example for those around you. Now, this is humbling because most of us don't want to be followed in our faith walk. We want, somebody, we want you to follow somebody else. Follow after Jesus Christ. Follow after the greats of the faith. Follow after the pastor or the elders or something like that. But this text is for every one of us. We are to set an example for the believers. That is built into the way in which the text says it. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture. Now, what's the, okay, so Timothy is to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, and I would argue that that is part of your devotional training as well. Sorry, so part of your training in godliness. How are we being trained in godliness? You are supposed to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, what does that mean? Take your Bible, go down to the corner of Market Street and stand there and start reading the Bible out loud. Okay, I don't think so. What is the public reading of Scripture? Well, it's just a nickname for worship. That's Paul's nickname for worship. It's how he describes worship. It is the public reading of the scripture. What Paul is saying to Timothy here is worship a consistent, faithful, constant presence in worship is part of how we train ourselves for godliness. Unfortunately, for so many of us, because of our schedules, and because of the rest of our lives and other commitments, all of which I completely understand, sometimes the only input you get at training is what happens in worship. May that never be. But sometimes it is. Sunday morning public worship is the only time you get that kind of input for training in godliness. Now, any athlete that only exercises you know, one hour a week, isn't likely to be at the top of their game. 
but devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures. Every one of us are to devote ourselves into worship. Do not neglect the gift, in verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have. Uh, what is the gift that Timothy has? We're not told. Uh, there's lots of different speculations on what Timothy's gift might be, but that's not the point. Timothy's not supposed to neglect that gift. We exercise, we pursue godliness in part by the reliance that we have upon the Spirit of God. That's the gift that is being talked about. Paul's, Paul is speaking to Timothy saying, do you remember your spiritual gift? Do you remember that filling that you had by the Spirit and the way that the Spirit works himself out in all of your life? That, don't neglect it. Exercise that. Hold passionately to it. Work it through your system. Work it into your life every minute of every day. Not just is that good for everybody else, but that's how you train yourself for godliness. We will be more godly as we rely more and more upon the work of the Spirit and what the Spirit has done in our lives, the way in which he has shaped us. Finally, in verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Now, I had kind of hoped when I read that that the word was attached to baptism. So, you know, immerse yourself, right? So I kind of, so I kind of got excited thinking, oh, this is, you know, like somehow tied to God's work of grace in our lives through our baptisms. This is a remember. I need to stop because that's not what the word means. Uh, it has nothing to do with baptism. What it has to do with is that mental activity that you're put around when you're preparing for a speech. When you're preparing to give an oration, when you're memorizing your text, when you're an actor on a stage, when you're doing something like that, there's a mental activity where you have to immerse yourself in the process. You have to so be connected to it that you're never separated. It's constantly on your mind. It is always working its way into every aspect, every characteristic, every way in which you express yourself. That's what Paul's saying here. The practice of godliness is to be so, it, it, it flows itself out through the, the, the immersion of your life that you are so wrapped up, that you are so, all of us know what it's like to have something so on our minds that we can't get out of it, that we cycle around onto it, that it shows itself in every aspect. You know, young lovers in love or something like that, they just can't get enough of talking about each other and da-da-da-da-da-da. That's the imagery that Paul uses here for Timothy that says, immerse yourself, immerse yourself in godliness. That's the text that is laid before us for each and every one of us, that we are to pursue godliness. But all of these commands that Paul gives, all of this encouragement and exhortation that rests on every one of us, rests upon us through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things come by God's love and care for you. Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever take it for granted. It is part of your godliness that you embrace the truth of the grace of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would communicate your love and care to us so powerfully in every way that it would work out faithfully here as we pursue godliness, as we seek to understand the grace and mercy that you give to us. 
and how it is demonstrated then in our lives. Lord, we desire to be men and women, not just who rest comfortably in your grace, but then who toil and strive to have that grace exercised faithfully through a godly lifestyle. Make that so, we pray. In Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. We come to a moment where we get to celebrate that picture of God's grace. This is God's grace coming to us in every possible way, and we experience that now through the communication of the gospel message to us through communion. For we are told that on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and after he gave thanks for it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for your forgiveness. Therefore, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. We show forth the Lord's death, an example to others as we train in godliness. Part of our training together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would embrace this time now as we come to you that you would immerse us in your grace, that we might live lives that are faithful to you in every way we pray. In your son's name, amen.